You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Happy Friday. Let's kick this hour off. Coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta for our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation walls. They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement Visit dlbasementsystems.com. And we are back with another Calgary Flames game day. The Flames kicking off a three-game road trip out east. An all-Canadian road trip with stops in Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal. We got more information on the Flames goaltending situation after Dustin Wolf was recalled from the Calgary Wranglers on Thursday. We'll get you that in just a few moments as well as our projected lines and D pairings from tonight's matchup with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Quick reminder, it is a 5 o'clock puck drop tonight. That means Flames warm up with Pat Steinberg goes at 4 o'clock. Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson on the call. Flames and Leafs for the first time this season and the first time for Brad Living to face his former team as he is now the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Still to come this hour, we will check in on the Flames' opposition. It's been a rocky start to the year for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Brent Gunning from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, is going to join us. And we'll also uh, take a look at the NFL Sunday coming up in just a few days here. Week 10 got underway last night with the Bears and the Panthers. Our pal Matt Marchese, host of the Fan Checkdown, is going to join us to get you set for Sunday and Monday of NFL football. Quick reminder, fan feedback line always open to you here on Sportsnet today. Shoot us a text at 960-960 if you're listening live. My outstanding producers on this Friday are Cam and Taylor. Let's get right into it. Flames created quite the buzz yesterday with the report that Dustin Wolf had been recalled from the American Hockey League's Calgary Wranglers. Another solid start to the season for Dustin Wolf, the two-time goaltender of the year, the one-time league MVP of the American Hockey League, will join the team on this three-game road trip. Per head coach Ryan Huska, Jacob Markstrom is day-to-day. Dan Vladar will get the start tonight. It's his fourth of the season and second in three games. Joseph Wall gets the start in goal for Toronto. No other word on how goaltender usage is going to go on this road trip. But I think you can probably safely assume that we might see Dustin Wolf Saturday night in game two of this road trip when the Flames are in our nation's capital to take on the Senators. From the team uh, themselves, here's the projected lineup for tonight's game in Toronto. Andrew Mangiapane rejoins the club after his one-game suspension. He's back on that top line with Jonathan Huberto and Elias Lindholm. Connor Zeri with Nazem Kadri and Yegor Sharangovich. Martin Pospisil with Backlund and Coleman. Greer, Ruzichka, and Dubé. So with Manjapani back in the lineup, 
Walker Dewar expected to be your extra forward in T.O. tonight. Your deep pairings remain the same as they've been the last couple of games. That's Uyghur with Anderson, Hannafin with Tanev, Zadorov with Nick DeSimone. And once again, it is Dan Vladar who gets to start in goal tonight for the Calgary Flames. And uh, interesting start to the season for both of these teams. You'd expect a high-scoring affair tonight, both the Flames and Leafs struggling to keep the puck out of their net. As far as goals against per game, the Flames ranked 25th in the league. Coming into tonight's matchup, the Leafs ranked 28th. Team save percentage, the Calgary Flames are 27th in the league. The Toronto Maple Leafs are 24th. So we're looking to uh, both these teams looking to clamp down defensively. Not sure it'll happen in tonight's game. And uh, if anything, the Leafs need to really crank down at home. Uh, their save percentage at home this year, the worst in the entire National Hockey League. Their uh, team save percentage at home this season, a rocky 851. So the Flames should find some offensive opportunities tonight. Interesting to see how Andrew Mangiapane comes out for this one following his one-game suspension. And again, so much talk over this last week uh, about Jonathan Huberto and how he is going to respond from that benching. Flames have won two in a row. They beat the Nashville Predators earlier this week. But of course, the big storyline out of that game was that Jonathan Huberto did not see the ice in the third period. And now uh, we're looking to see what kind of response he brings, what kind of response his line mates bring. It's going to be uh, one of the storylines, no doubt, to watch for. We'll also continue to monitor when uh, or if we get uh, Dustin Wolf uh, to see a start during this road trip. But uh, I'm going to turn our focus now to the opposition on the night. It's the Toronto Maple Leafs. Lots of familiar faces on both sides, obviously. Former captain Mark Giordano. TJ Brody, Kelly Yarncroft, to name a couple. Uh, and now the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs is Brad Treliving, who built uh, a lot of the flames that you see here tonight uh, in this matchup. It's going to be the first time for Brad to see his former club, so that'll be a storyline to watch. I'm sure the Sportsnet cameras will uh, find Brad wherever he is in the stadium tonight. And uh, as we take a look at the Toronto Maple Leafs start this season, very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Guest hotline this afternoon, welcoming our pal from uh, Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. It's our pal Brent Gunning joining us this afternoon. Brent, thanks for the time as always, man. How are you? Yeah, doing well, Logan. Been a while. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, pal. Uh, look, uh, there's been plenty of storylines around Canada for different reasons. Uh, Calgary, Edmonton. Vancouver, Toronto, Ottawa, you can go pretty much wherever you want to. Uh, disappointment for a lot of these groups, and I imagine uh, a 6-5-2 and two start for the Leafs isn't what they were looking for to start this season either. Yeah, no, man. I mean, I'm, I'm doing our morning show in Toronto. It's funny you mentioned all the, all the different storylines, and it's like we're doing half-oilers shows, basically, just following <laughs> the panic mode going on there. So, yeah, I did, there's, and, you know, maybe part of that is not wanting to drill in too deep because it's, uh, yeah, not as rosy as maybe a lot of people, uh, the Leafs themselves, would have, would have expected. It's been a, a weird, weird start to the year. You know, if you would have looked at, let's just pick Austin Matthews and said he would have had the 13 and 12 that he has to start the year. I think a lot of people said, okay, the Leafs are probably doing fine. But, yeah, it's been a, an odd start to the year for a lot of teams in Canada, at least right in the middle of it for sure. Ailish uh, Forfar joins me on Wednesdays here on the program, and we, we dive across the NHL, but of course we take a look at the Leafs and everything going on there, and one of the big topics that she's brought on this year, I'm curious if you see it the same way, has been 
the disappointing start for a couple of new Maple Leafs, specifically uh, in Max Domi and Tyler Bertuzzi. It sure sounds like Sheldon Keefe and the Leafs were looking for a little bit more out of those two, specifically on the forward side of things, to give this group a bit of a secondary boost, and it hasn't shown up yet. Yeah, no, hasn't quite. Uh, Bertuzzi had uh, had a better game his, his last game out. It was probably his best game as a Leaf, and, and Domi seemed to have found something with a, a new third line they've got there with Yarn Kroc and, and Nick Robertson, who was just called up a couple of games ago. So I'd say with Domi, it seems like he has found a little something there, just the fact that he's playing center. I don't know that it's the long-term fit for him with this team necessarily, but it seems to have engaged him a little bit more. You're getting a little bit of a different version of him. And Bertuzzi was an odd one. Uh, There was some wondering uh, aloud if he maybe was dealing with an injury just with him uh, missing some uh, optional skates and game days earlier on in the season. I wonder if maybe he's a touch healthier now because, again, that, that game he played, it was not a good game. Well, I shouldn't even say it was a bad game for the team as a whole. It wasn't great, but scoreline 6-3 in Ottawa makes it seem a lot worse than it was. But for Bertuzzi specifically, it was his best game as a Leaf. I think he had the puck more on his stick in that game than he had at any other point. And, yeah, they need they need those guys to give them something. And it's not just the, the scoring and the secondary offense. I mean, with both of them in, in slightly different ways, you need that nastiness, that, that pest element that, that both of them can bring. And, it hadn't really been there. I think with Domi, he was probably trying to walk himself back a little bit. I mean, you know, I, I don't need to tell anybody out there how famous his dad is in Toronto for doing, uh, let's be honest, a lot of tie and not Max Domi things, right? The, yep. the, the fighting, the rough stuff, the run in his mouth. And I honestly think Domi was probably trying to make sure he didn't get doing too much of that. Uh, so he's kind of finding his line. And with Bertuzzi, it was odd to, to see him as unengaged as he'd been. There was a big scrum he got involved in the first game of the season. There hadn't really been much since. So I, I, I hope the last game can kind of pull Bertuzzi out of his funk and then Domi having found it with his new line mate. So we'll, we'll see if there's a little something there. But, yeah, not the start either of them would have wanted. Talk to me about the start for, for Ryan Reeves in Toronto. We're pretty used to in Calgary over the years of Brad Treliving as the GM having – that sort of presence in the lineup. It's kind of been a Brad Treliving staple, and uh, there are people that still believe that's a big part of the game, and you need to have that nuclear deterrent, if you will. There are others that uh, think it's a very outdated way of of putting together your lineup and potentially your fourth line. And uh, Surprisingly, for a guy that's got zero points on the year, uh, I've heard a lot of Ryan Reeves' discourse out of Toronto to start the season. Yeah, it's not the uh, it's not the point column that, that's got people up in arms. It's the one, well, I guess depending on what statue you're looking at, but usually right beside it, the old plus minus, and he's a dash. I think eight at, the, at this point this this year. It has been it's been a rough go of it for him. Some of it, some of it is bad luck. I mean, he's been out there. There's an Alex Tuck goal against Buffalo where it's going. It looked like an old enough point shot. It was going 15 feet high, high right. And they found a way uh, off tucking in. So some of it's bad luck, but some of it's been, he's just getting caught foot speed. You know, there's a lot of him pointing to a guy in the defensive zone right before a goal this year. And, you know, he hasn't had a chance to do a lot of the stuff he was brought in to do. It seemed like he was going to very first game of the season. He takes a, you know, a bit of a run at a guy on Montreal. Jack guy jumps in, 
they have a bit of a fight and then immediately the war word starts of, well, that wasn't really a fight. We'll see what happens next time around. You're going, oh, great. This is the Ryan Reeves experiment. I forgot who it was, but he fought somebody in the very next game for uh, against Minnesota and he hasn't been able to do it since. I mean, you know, you're not going to fight every day in the NHL. You weren't doing that in 1985. You're certainly not doing it in 2023, but he hasn't been able to have any of that. It seemed like he was going to be on the outside looking in tonight. Now, Klingberg being hurt may be his way back into the lineup, but yeah, it's, it's not been a start. And so much of what he was brought in here to do, if you listen to the commentary, not just from the team, from True Living, but from Reeves himself was for the stuff that we can't see, the stuff we can't feel. And it's, you know, part of it is hopefully a tougher team, which hasn't materialized at all, but also part of it is a, a tighter team, maybe a more vocal team. And, you know, if that's a, the only point you want that, let's be honest, is for it to lead to wins and losses. And that hasn't happened either. So I don't think you can sit here and point at Ryan Reeves and, and, and are in the record and say that's the reason why. But I, I don't think it's it's fair to give him credit for anything that hasn't happened yet either. So, yeah, not not the good start from Reeves either. And then at the tail end of their, their last game, you know, I don't know what he's supposed to do. Sheldon Keith puts him out there at the end of a 6-3 game. And it, what else do you expect? But he's kind of whack, uh, running around, taking hacks at whoever he can find. Looked like he was trying to go McEwen into something, Zach McEwen into something, which, again, you know, if you put Ryan Reese on the ice, that's what he's there to do. But there's no point in doing it with 10 seconds left in a, in a 6-3 game. So, yeah, not, not the start he'd like. Uh, you mentioned John Klingberg. I think fair to say another guy that hasn't been off to a sterling start uh, in his time in Toronto. You, uh, Sheldon Keefe did it say, uh, like you mentioned, that he won't be in the lineup tonight. What's gone wrong for Klingberg uh, in this start in Toronto? He was sort of the big add to this decor to kind of, help spread out those minutes. Yeah, it's, it's not even so much what's gone wrong because, I, I mean, that to a certain extent could all be expected. He had one, I mean, the game against Ottawa, he, he, he really struggled. He was out there for four even strength goals against. But it's just been the absence of things going right. I think to a certain extent, you know, if, if the Leafs power play was humming at a league best clip and we were giving John Klingberg a lot of credit for that, then I think – to a certain extent, you can live with it. You know, if he was even just tilting the ice their favor and there was the odd blemish in his own defensive end, you can, you can live with that. But just that hasn't happened at all. The Leafs have not been winning his minutes and he's been taken off the first power play for long chunks of the season. So it's not so much what's, been, what's gone wrong for Klingberg. Because again, I think, I think even the biggest John Klingberg fan in the world would say, okay, yeah, there is going to be the odd miscoverage in the D zone. He is going to lose some puck battles, but he should do enough good things to help you. But there's just been really, really nothing positive. I mean, always a player who, who got by because of their skating. You know, it's amazing. So many players in this league have had their, their skating kind of cover up other parts of their game. And when it goes, it goes. And, you know, I wonder if that's what's happening for a guy who's a little longer in the tooth in Klingberg. And, you know, there's a big, question we've been having at least have this Sweden trip coming up is it's either the best time possible or the worst time possible for it because you know Klingberg's going to have a thousand mics in his face and he's from over there and it's you know he's not going to be able to hide on on that trip so yeah it's been a, a quite quite frankly a brutal start I mean there was a lot of focus on Bertuzzi and Domi early on and I think it was you know thinking Klingberg would kind of find his way but the second those guys found their level all the attentions turned to Klingberg and quite honestly recently so He's Brent Gunning from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, helping us take a look at the opposition tonight for the Calgary Flames. It's one of two matchups against Brad Treliving's Toronto Maple Leafs. There's been some good positives to start the year, too. It's not all doom and gloom with some of the new guys. One guy specifically 
uh, that's made a lot of noise in the contract year. Uh, funny enough, uh, William Nylander, 18 points on the season, seven goals already, uh, really forming a nice line there with John Tavares. I believe Tyler Bertuzzi has been on that line uh, at times this season too. Brent, what's uh, what do you make of the start so far for William Nylander? Yeah, it's been a bit of a revolving door on that left-hand side. Started off with actually Max Domi there, and they had no chemistry. What's to be what's to be said for it all? <laughs> it is Berto- it is Bertuzzi who, who's there now, and I mean this is I think this is what William Nylander is. You know, we always talk about players growing and growing, and when they get to there, you know, the aging curve has changed a little bit. It used to be kind of late twenties, maybe now it's more mid twenties you are who you are. And, you know, I'm not going to say that there's not some element of a contract to your push going on here. I'm sure part of that is at play, but we've also seen this at a Nylander for well over a calendar year. Now, if you go back to last year, I mean, he, he has had the odd game where you say, okay, maybe that's not a $10 million player, but unlike in the past where you're looking at it and saying, what is that? You're still saying, yeah, that's a, that's a second-line player who maybe didn't play like a first-line stud tonight. I mean, any questions anybody had about what he was worth, I, I feel like he's answered in spades. I suppose some people would have questions about what he is, you know, insulated away from other highly paid forwards. But that's how this league works now, Logan, right? Like, everybody's yeah. got a ton of high paid forwards that they, they play together and feed off of one another. So. If there is one more step, or I shouldn't even say it a step, but maybe a question to be asked, it's what would Nylander look like kind of driving his own line? There's been some thought about that of him, and it, it feels foolish to have him almost on a third line. But if you think of him and you know Max Domi just as a, as a pair with him down the middle, you wonder what he could do. But in, in terms of all the questions about his play, it's been the – I wouldn't even say the high end has gotten that much better. He's always been able to wow. It's just we've kind of gone from having – one of those games every six weeks to one of those a month to one of those every couple of weeks. And now it feels like it's the other way. It's okay. That was the bad Nylander game a month where that we've got to. So it's, that's the thing I have to commend the player on the most is his consistency, the way, the way he's turned that facet of his career around because the bad games would have been, would have been totally fine games by him, even, you know, a year and a half ago. What's the big picture conversation with Nylander right now, knowing that he's, uh, pending UFA. What have, what have we heard from Brad in Toronto about that? Is this a, a case in your mind where if the Leafs aren't in contention, he's a, a chip for this team to use at the trade deadline? Are they trying to figure something out long-term? What's the big picture with Nylander in Toronto right now? Well, I mean, I don't need to, I don't need to tell you guys the history there with your living and having high-profile guys walk away. I'd be lying if I didn't wonder how much of that is coloring, you know, the way he he handles this. I mean, I don't think he would overpay Nylander through the teeth just to say, okay, don't worry. I didn't have him walk away because I mean, it's a cap league. You have to be, you have to be smart with your money, but I also take all these guys at, at face value. You know, they all to a man have said, I want to be in Toronto. This is where I'd like to be. You know, maybe Nylander doesn't shout it from the rooftops as often as some others, but every time there's been a mic in front of his face, that's what he said. Now the question is, does he want to make, let's just use nice round numbers here to make it easy. Does he want to make 10 in Toronto or I don't know, 11 and a half in San Jose? Cause I'm sure that'll be an option. I don't just mean the sharks, but some much easier market that comes without it, the expectations and quite honestly, probably without the, the possibility of success. I think that'll be the question because go look at that UFA market for, for this winter and, or sorry, this upcoming summer, it's, 
there's not a lot of options outside of Nylander and for some reason, Steven Stamkos still <laughs> still <laughs> potentially out there. So yeah, the, the conversation I think has cooled on it because I, I don't expect it to happen quite honestly. And if they're not going to, if there, if there isn't an impetus to push forward to get something done for this Swedish trip and have them sign it at home as part of that, I don't know what the internal push would be. I mean, maybe you want to have your business wrapped up by the new year, but the I, if even if there's not a contract, I just I can't see a way he's traded. You have to find another. Okay, even let's not use ten million dollars if somebody likes Nylander a little less. You have to find another player who gives you nine million in value that costs six six on the cap because this team isn't just isn't going to have anywhere. You know, I suppose maybe you tie him to Klingberg and then that allows you to go get a ten million dollar guy, but. That's just such a, a fine, fine needle to, to thread in, in this league. So just because of the numbers and the value he makes alone, I, I, I can't see a world where he, he leaves this team one way or another in season. And I, I think of all the teams that are going to be able to pay him, I think police will present the best option to him. So quite, quite frankly, I expect him to stay. I just don't know when that deal comes. How hot do you think the, the seat is for a guy like Sheldon Keefe? I, look, I don't want to, make it sound like it's an Oilers-esque start in Toronto. I think 6-5-2 and two is probably disappointing for a team with the, the expectations, but they're not nearly, you know, 32nd in the league. But we always know that that conversation comes, Brent, with a, a GM and a coach, and it's not always the, the GM's guy when he comes in, extension or not. Is there a legitimate threat to his job, you think, if this doesn't start to turn over the next month or so? I think the fact that Domi and Bertuzzi started to find some semblance of fit with this team, that has kind of calmed the waters on that. Because I've been wondering aloud the same thing. I mean, look, we all, we all know how it works. You can't trade the whole team, especially not in season. You're not just going to punt on the year and sit there with your hands in your pockets. You, you would, you'd have to consider it at the very least. But I think the fact that you know when it was none of the new acquisitions clicking and throw Ryan Reeves into that as well, you'd say – okay, maybe we do need to look at something new because how are all of the pieces not fitting? But now it seems to be a little more of, okay, it's just Klingberg and Reeves that are sticking out. And I think they'd stick out for a lot of people right now. So I, I think Keith is probably, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even go as far as to say fairly safe because it's just the most obvious move to make. But I would expect this team to kind of hover around this record or better. And I, I would expect them to stick with Keith throughout it. Cause the other part they stuck with, the other reason they stuck with them is I don't think they loved any of the, I don't think they loved any of the candidates that were available. You know, I'd been wondering if they were maybe waiting for Joel Quenville to get reinstated. And we, we all know what's happened with the Blackhawks this year with that. So I highly doubt that is coming. And I, I also think they think he's a good coach. You know, I don't know how much Brad for living thinks that, but I'm pretty confident that Brendan Shanahan thinks he's, he's a good coach or that would have been part of the upheaval this summer as well. And, you know, Treliving definitely has the car keys in his hand, but I don't know that he doesn't check to the back seat to make sure it's uh, with <laughs> Shanahan to make sure it's not okay for a turn every once in a while. And, you know, that's no shot at Treliving. That's the way yeah. the front offices are in this league now. But I, I, I think he's fairly safe unless things really go off the rails. And then that would be the, the easiest bullet to have for sure. Brent, great stuff as always, man. Really appreciate you hopping on. Enjoy the game tonight. Uh, can't wait to check in again with you sometime later this season, pal. Yeah, anytime, man. Take care. Thank you. Brent Gunning joining us from uh, Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, getting you set for the Leafs and the Calgary Flames tonight.
Uh, of course, the Bradshaw Living storyline in Toronto, one to to watch for, not on the ice, but how he's constructed this Toronto team. Uh, and obviously the legacy that he leaves behind in Calgary will no doubt be a big topic, uh, talking point uh, for tonight's game, and I'm sure during the broadcast. Uh, before we get out of here, this segment, want to uh, let you hear from uh, Flames perspective, Ryan Huska spoke to the media following morning skate today in Toronto. Let's get the head coach's thoughts on a game day. First of three out east for the Calgary Flames. Here's Ryan Huska following morning skate in Toronto. Ryan, just uh, another game uh, for your group, or does coming here to you even mean more? Canadian City, uh, Toronto, uh, obviously the, the spotlight is on a group. Uh, it's another game for sure, but it, it does feel different. I mean, when you... You see the amount of people that are around here, which makes it a pretty cool experience for a lot of guys. The other thing is your guys that are from, from this area, this is always a nice night for them to come back. What's important for uh, your message or your group tonight to play against a team that's kind of been reeling? Uh, well, it's not for us. It's about us still. We're still trying to find our game a little bit, and we've seen flashes of it over the last little while, but we want to continue to build on what we've been doing. You've talked a lot about trying to be more dangerous in the offensive zone. Have you felt like that has come along or seen some progress in that area in the ozone? It's getting better. I, I think all that stuff starts at the other end. You know, so when we feel like we're doing a better job in our zone and coming out of our zone, you spend some more time in the offensive zone. And then um, when you get your shots, you, you can break uh, defenses down. And that's really what we're trying to do. So we want to we want to be good in our own zone. That's first and foremost. Can you give us a status update on Jacob Marshall? Uh, he's day-to-day -day is what we probably call him. And yeah. Dan Vladar is your guy tonight? He is. When you, I want to ask specifically about Kadri's line. Um, what have they been able to do or find success here, you know, recently? Is that maybe same with them starting in their D zone? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think you can look to Naz to start with. Like I think Naz has been kind of uh, re-energized a little bit. Um, you know, he's he's playing with a, a couple of younger players. Um, there's some guys with skill set on his line, and it feels like like he's taking on a bit of. Uh, a mentorship type role and I think he's really embraced it so his level has been raised over the last number of games and I think he's enjoying playing with um, um, Sharon and Zars. Has that uh, improved Sharon Govich's confidence too? Are you seeing a little bit more from him right now? I think whenever players get some more minutes and they're put in in different situations it it for sure helps absolutely. How impressive has uh, what Dustin Wolf's been able to do in the AHL been and are you tempted at, at any point maybe in the next little while if Jacob is unavailable to give him a look. Sure. I mean, we're not afraid to start him. He's done some great things in the American League over the last number of years. I mean, um, and he came in for exhibition this season and did the same thing. So um, we're in a situation that we're back to back and we'll see how things go for tomorrow. Yeah. Is a good uh, bounce back effort for Huberto look like tonight? Um, just in the past is in the past. It's Jonathan being Jonathan, and that means he's going to try to control the puck a lot when it's on a stick and, and make plays. That's that's what he does best. So that's what we're expecting out of him tonight. What have you learned about Chris Tanev that you didn't know already? Um, that's a, a good question. I, I learned in a hurry when we first started working with him. Um, you look at the offensive players in this league, and they see it differently where they go. They know how to find open ice. Chris does that on the defensive side, and he's pretty special in that regard where um, he has an understanding of where that next play is going to go. So he always finds himself in the right position, and he has great composure and poise with the puck. So he knows, he knows where the pressure is coming from. He knows where his open man is, and he makes great plays for us too. That's head coach Ryan Huska on a game day from Toronto. Dan Vladar gets the start in goal. Andrew Mangiapane back from suspension and on a line with Jonathan Huberto and Elias Lindholm. When we come back on the other side, going to dive into some football conversation with Matt Marchese. 
We're going to see what uh, he thought of the Thursday night matchup between the Bears and the Panthers and take a look ahead to another NFL Sunday. That's next on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, we're getting you set for the Flames and the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight. The first of a three-game road trip for the Calgary Flames out east. All Canadian matchups tonight against the Leafs, Saturday against the Sens, and then Tuesday against the Montreal Canadiens. Dan Vladar gets the start in goal for the Calgary Flames tonight as head coach Ryan Huska has deemed uh, Jacob Markstrom day-to-day. We'll also see if that means Dustin Wolf gets a start on this road trip after being recalled from the Calgary Wranglers. We'll have more on the Calgary Flames as the afternoon rolls on. But right now, as we go down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline, welcome in our Friday regular here on the program, Matt Marchese. We'll take a look ahead to what should be a fun Sunday of NFL football. Maddie, happy Friday, pal. How are you? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, Panthers, Bears was Panthers, Bears, I, I think. I, I'm not sure I expected much more than that when Tyson Bajan went up against Bryce Young last night. Uh, so I described it on the show yesterday as Panthers, Bears, ugh, whatever. <laughs> That's pretty much how I described it. And that's exactly what it was. It was a bunch of field goals, no offensive touchdowns, just the punt return touchdown by uh, Amir Smith-Marset. Um, a lot of bad football. And the Chicago Bears are somehow finding ways to win games, which is kind of surprising, albeit, I mean, it's against the, the Carolina Panthers. So they're really reading too much into it. But, yeah, it was, um, it was as bad as you probably could have imagined as the – the the under continues to prevail in all of these primetime matchups, which I'm not going to lie. Um, I hate betting the under, and they kind of suck. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's a conversation I've had on my show with a couple different guests this week, Matt, and I'd love for you to weigh in on it. Uh, with C.J. Stroud going off last week and the Panthers now sitting with one win in nine games this season, how worried are you about this process in Carolina, especially knowing that the Chicago Bears own that first-round pick for Carolina coming up this next season, and the weapons that Bryce Young need, in my mind, to get this Carolina Panthers team going, like, say, a Marvin Harrison Jr., simply aren't going to be there because they don't have that high draft pick again this season. It seems like it's going to be a dark couple of years in Carolina. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I, I made this point. I... I... I really have a hard time in evaluating Bryce Young. Like the price, it really does look bad, the price that they paid to get him, especially with what CJ Stroud is doing. If CJ Stroud wasn't doing what he has been doing over the course of the year, we wouldn't be having the same conversations about Bryce Young. But of course, they're going to be there because, you know, we live in a vacuum and, and every decision and commentary is made in a split second moment. But I think when we kind of sit back and look at things, we say, okay. Bryce Young was a very good quarterback in college. And there's a reason why he went first overall. He didn't go first overall by accident. Now, when you, when you draft a quarterback that high, you better build things around him. And while Adam Thielen has been a really nice piece for them, he's also very old in football terms. Uh, DJ Chark hasn't panned out. They drafted Terrace Marshall Jr. a couple of years ago. That hasn't panned out. Jonathan Mingo hasn't really panned out to this point, but it is early. What it's going to stress for the Carolina Panthers is they better hit on their other draft picks going forward. Like if you're going to draft 
there's always a good receiver that you can find in the second round or in the third round. Like it, it happens and more second round than third, but it happens a little bit more frequently. We know more about these prospects. You know, we know we have a better idea of how they're going to develop in the NFL. Sometimes they hit, sometimes they don't. That's fine. But I look at this situation and say, they better figure it out, whether it be receiver or tight end or specifically the offensive line, which has been horrible for Bryce Young. Like everybody talks about, well, he, he hasn't thrown the deep ball. Well, he can't because he A, doesn't have time and he B, doesn't have a receiver. It's, it's a really bad situation right now in Carolina. I don't think anybody thought it was going to be great off the hop, but it's, I think, been a lot worse than we had expected. But this is what happens. Like, again, we keep coming back to the C.J. Stroud thing because look at it this way, Mongo. I don't think anybody thought that Houston was going to be as good as they have been, and specifically C.J. Stroud, because now you look at him and go, well, when you're bad and you're drafting that high, usually you're not very good the next year. I think we're looking at this the wrong way because the Texans are kind of the outlier here is that they were bad last year. They revamped a bunch of things and CJ Stroud is hit right out of the gate. We may be not having this conversation next year about the Panthers because they've had another off season to figure it out, bring in some more guys, add some protection around the quarterback and then really see what he can do. But yes, as it stands right now, this is very bleak, and I feel really bad for Bryce Young because I think there's a good quarterback in there. We just unfortunately haven't seen it all now. Yeah, and hard to blame him. I mean, you mentioned Adam Thielen. I look at, you know, Miles Sanders. He's an okay running back, but certainly not one that you're going to say, oh, well, let's give you the ball 30 times in a game and, you know, take some pressure off of our young quarterback, get the play action rolling. Um, if, if you, I like your point because it's one that I like to bring up a lot too. It's that, you know, sometimes we expect these young quarterbacks to jump into these situations at a college where maybe they had, you know, two or three studs in the, on the offensive line who were first round picks or, you know, a couple of all pro caliber receivers in college, they go to these NFL teams and they don't have that kind of talent around them, but they're still expected to produce at a similar level and pick up wins. The, th- the thing is, too, is if we look historically at quarterbacks, you know, like, we, again, we live in a vacuum. So the C.J. Stroud thing, we're like, oh, my God, look at C.J. Stroud. This is what Bryce Young needs to be. But historically, picks that high, quarterbacks that have been taken that high haven't had success out of the gate. Peyton Manning was horrible out of the gate. Like, yeah. everybody's like, oh, my God, Peyton Manning is going to be a bust. Well, Peyton Manning ended up being a Hall of Famer. The same thing happened with Troy Aikman. I think I think somebody said, we had a guest on our show yesterday, I think he said Troy Aikman was like 1-10 in, in his first 11 starts in the NFL. Like, I know everybody wants everything to happen so quickly, but there is a massive adjustment. I like the point you made about having, you know, really good players on the offensive line and, and receivers and tight ends. Generally speaking, if you play at Alabama or you play at, Uh, Ohio State or you play at Georgia or wherever, if you want to talk big schools, the guys that are on your offensive line and the guys that you are throwing to are among the 30 best, 20 best in all of college sports. And then you go to the NFL and it's like, well, I may not have a lineman that is in the top 30 if I'm on, you know, playing on a team that was just last place the previous year. So there's so many little things that go into it. Like, Bryce Young is throwing to guys like 
um, Devontae Smith, who is a Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah. Um, see, you know, CJ Stroud is throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr. and Chris Olave, and you can go down the list. Like, it's just, it's really easy to say, well, this guy's not performing, but it's really sometimes hard for us to look at the overall picture and say, well, this is why this is happening. And I don't, I don't think that Bryce Young is going to be a bad quarterback. I think he's going to be a very good quarterback. It's just this one is going to take maybe a little bit longer than some of the others. Uh, where's your focus on Sunday, man? What, uh, what looks uh, to you to be the best matchup out of the Sunday slate this week? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because there's two that kind of stand out. The one, I, Donovan and I kind of had them as our 1A, 1B. The first one is Browns and, and Ravens. Um, that matchup, AFC North, I, I think a lot of people are surprised at how good the Browns defense has been. I think a lot of people are surprised at how good the Ravens offense has been. But the Ravens overall right now, they might be the best team in the AFC. I know people want to talk about all well, Kansas City's defenses. Yeah, but Kansas City's offense isn't playing at the same clip that we've seen them in, in previous years. Um, maybe Jacksonville makes a case. That's fine. But that matchup, and then for me, my 1A is Houston and Cincinnati. It's because of the way that C.J. Stroud is playing right now and because of the way Joe Burrow is playing right now. Uh, no T. Higgins for Burrow, so that's going to make things at least a little bit easier for the Texans. But they're going into Cincinnati – playing against a team who has looked very, very good over the past two weeks specifically against the Niners and the Bills, Joe Burrow looks like he's back. He's got that swagger back. He's able to move. He looks healthy. And I'm curious to see how the Texans can try and keep up with the Cincinnati offense right now because Houston's defense, let's not forget, they gave up a lot of points last week to a a really – you know, offensively poor team in Tampa Bay. And that game was probably a little bit closer than it should have been. But if the Texans can somehow go into Cincinnati, grab a win on the road, wow. Like, that's a a big deal, especially for a rookie quarterback to go in there. So this is probably their biggest test of the year. They've already passed their previous big test, which was on the road in Jacksonville, divisional game, and they wiped the floor with Jacksonville. So there's... You know, I I put out, and I don't even think it's a hot take because I think you should be in there anyway right now, but I said on the show this week, if Houston makes the playoffs, it's going to be because C.J. Stroud is playing at a clip that we've never seen from a rookie quarterback and that he's going to win the MVP. I know that's very hyperbolic and people go, oh, he's crazy, but it's the truth. Nobody thought that they were going to be in that conversation of even getting into the playoffs, let alone winning like five games on the year, which... If they win this week, well, they're there. Yeah. So that so I think I think that matchup for me is the most intriguing on Sunday. I don't disagree with you on that Stroud point either. It doesn't you're not the first person that I've I've had that conversation with where it's like you gotta take a serious look at what that kid's doing as a rookie and maybe, you know, I know we were so often to just jump into Oakland, we'll just put him as the offensive rookie of the year. But I mean, this is kind of and you're right, if they get to where they wanna go to It'll be on his shoulders, and that means he's, at least in my mind, you know, more to the MVP side than maybe the, the offensive rookie of the year. Uh, I want to ask you about the Cardinals and the Falcons, not because it intrigues me all that much. I, I suppose we could make a case about Atlanta and sticking around in that NFC South division, but more so on the Cardinals side of things because Kyler Murray set to make his season debut tonight, and it feels like this is the beginning of the evaluation point 
for the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray, where it starts on Sunday for this group. If they're going to figure this thing out long-term or if they're going to have to use another high draft pick to perhaps pick the quarterback of the future. Do you feel the same way as I do about that, Matty? Oh yeah. And and this process is going to be very intriguing because it's twofold, right? If Kyler Murray is part of your future going forward, then he's got to play well. If Kyler Murray is part of your future going forward, you would also still like to have the first overall pick as a backup in case you wanted to, Oh, I don't know, maybe traded away for a bounty because look at what the, look at what the, the bears got for Bryce young and the, or the opportunity to draft Bryce young. Well, Caleb Williams is a better prospect. He's one of the best prospects we've seen at the quarterback position since probably Andrew Luck. So if we're talking about what the bears got for the opportunity to draft Bryce young, what would the Cardinals get or whoever has the first overall pick get? if they were inclined to trade it away for the opportunity to draft Caleb Williams. But if Kyler Murray's good, you're kind of taking yourself out of that process. And then you end up in, you know, maybe you're the fifth worst team and you're drafting fifth overall, which certainly doesn't hurt you, but it kind of changes the fortunes of your team going forward. They do have the extra second round pick. They have Houston, um, which seems to be getting worse and worse every week the more they play. But yes, And the other thing is, too, is if you want to trade Kyler Murray, you still want him to be good. But the question is, the the thing is still the same. You don't want him to be too good that he's winning you football games. You want him to be good enough that you can get something for him, but not good enough that he takes you out of the running for Caleb Williams. I, I think the Cardinals are going to be making their decision based on whatever draft pick they get. That's my honest opinion. Like, if they have the second worst record and they have the opportunity to draft Marvin Harrison, if that's the the player they want to draft, or I don't see them being inclined to take Drake May over Kyler Murray at this point. So I think this determination is going to be made at the end of the season based on where they finish. But you're right. The process starts this week. Uh, The Minnesota Vikings have stunned a lot of people. They've won four in a row. Josh Dobbs came in after teaching his uh, offensive line, his cadence, on the sideline last week and now might have Justin Jefferson back in the lineup when they take on the saints this week, how big of an opportunity does Minnesota have here knowing that their next three games after this week, Maddie are at Denver versus Chicago and then at the, at the Las Vegas Raiders. You know, logo, I don't like being wrong. Um, I really don't (laughs) like being wrong. And I had the Vikings out of the playoffs before the season started. I thought the schedule was too tough. And they were a mirage last year. They had a minus point differential and they were 13 and four. Like that just, that just shouldn't happen in the NFL. And yet there they were. So I was like, okay, when you break things down, you really look at the roster and the defense wasn't very good. And yeah, Kirk Cousins was fine. They're not going to make the playoffs. And sure enough, now they find themselves, you know, right in the thick of things in the NFC playoff race. They're not even, if we're being honest, they're not even that far out of the division um, because Detroit's going to have a little bit of a tougher schedule. Like It's not super easy going into L.A. to play the Chargers this week. And so when I saw that Kirk Cousins got hurt, I said they should make a call to the, Minnesota, uh, to the Arizona Cardinals for Josh Dobbs because he's proven that he can basically come off the street and be a competent NFL quarterback, maybe better than competent. 
And that's what he's done. Has he won a ton of football games? No, but he's played on bad teams. He's already been traded twice this year. They're traded in right before the start of the season from Cleveland to Arizona. Starts there, plays way better than anybody could have expected. And now he ends up in Minnesota, which has to be a dream for him because he goes from throwing to, you know, Johnny Johnny thinks at football to, you know, now maybe Justin Jefferson. And he's been throwing to Jordan Addison and TJ Hawkinson. The run game sucks. That's fine. But this is kind of a quarterback's dream compared to what he's already been dealing with. So he's looked really good. I can't imagine that Josh Dobbs is not a starting quarterback in the NFL next year. He's really done a great job. He's been the best story in the NFL so far this year. A guy who, you know, nobody was expecting anything of. It really kept the Arizona Cardinals in game and made them a tough out. Now he goes to Minnesota, doesn't start his first game there, takes over from Jaron Hall, and then leads them to a victory over a team that they're fighting for a playoff spot with in Atlanta. So I think that I think that it's really a curious situation when you look at Josh Dobbs and say, some guys, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Geno Smith thing. You know, not Geno Smith was drafted higher, but maybe he's just a late bloomer. Maybe he's a guy that just figured it out a little bit later in his career and all he needed was an opportunity. I really like the Josh Dobbs story. I really like the, uh, the idea that NASA is calling him the pastronaut, which is so cool <laughs> because he's literally probably the smartest man in the NFL among players. So a really cool story, but yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be really, really interesting. Uh, and we can't get out of here without asking about your bills. They have the uh, Monday nighter, uh, against the Denver Broncos. Are we looking for a bounce back from Josh Allen and company this week? Well, I said they were going to win last week, so that obviously didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Although they probably, when we really break it down, it was a bad Josh Allen interception and the Dalton Kincaid fumble, which they were driving the field pretty well against the Bengals team who really shut them down after after their first drive. Listen, if they lose to the Denver Broncos, I'm so done this year. Like, I, that's, that's the nail in the coffin for me. But here's the thing. Denver's defense has been playing a lot better. Like, I know we, we joked about them giving up 70 points, but they are far and away better than that performance. I mean, you couldn't get any worse, but just look at what they've done to the Kansas City Chiefs. They've played them really tough this year. They won one game, and the other game was a lot closer than it probably should have been. This is going to be, as much as a pain is going to say this, I feel like this is going to be a tough test for the Bills and their offense. Now, there's been a lot of talk about Ken Dorsey, and I, I believe it was Josh Allen that came out in support of Ken Dorsey, which, fine, it sounds like they're buddy-buddy. I don't love it because I feel like Josh Allen sometimes needs to be told things um, rather than you know being coddled a little bit. But if they play with tempo and they, you know, go to no huddle more often and, and use the short passing game in that no huddle offense and really keep the defense on their toes and keep them on the field without a breather. I think that's the key to their success. And when they did that against the Bengals, they were really successful, but in the interim, they didn't do that and they couldn't move the ball. There was no rhythm. There was no flow to the offense, but if they can do that and do that well going forward, they're going to be fine because I think they have an offense that, even though the defense is struggling, I think they can outscore their problems on defense. And, and that's going to be the key here. If they can do that, if they can get the offense moving, I think they'll be fine. Does, it's not super 
effective that Stefan Diggs just popped up on the injury report with a back injury. Nobody wants to see that, especially someone like myself who is a Bills fan. <laughs> but we'll see how the offense moves this. I, I don't know if it was you or um, or Peter Klein that I was talking to this about with, but the injury to Dawson Knox has allowed them to play Dalton Kincaid more and get him involved in the offense. And it's added an element that they did not have. It allows them to have more speed on the field. And we've seen that Dalton Kincaid over the past three weeks has been one of the best pass catching tight ends in all of football. That includes Mark Andrews. That includes Travis Kelsey, although he's a lot better when Taylor Swift is in the building. Um, TJ Hawkins, all those guys, he's been as good as they have over the last three weeks since becoming the number one guy. That's got to be the key to their offense. Maddie, get out of here. You filled in for Jeff Merrick this week. You had your own show, uh, and you were still kind enough to come on with us on this Friday. Appreciate it, pal. Enjoy the weekend. Let's chat again next week, hey? Sounds good, buddy. You enjoy the weekend, too. Take care. Matt Marchese, the host of the Fan Checkdown Show, the fill-in for Jeff Merrick, and, of course, our Friday regular here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Uh, we got to get out of here. Make way for Flames Talk. It's coming up next. Get you set for the Flames and the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's a game day. 4 o'clock, Flames warm-up with Pat Steinberg. 5 o'clock, Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson on the call. Flames and Leafs for the first time this season. Dan Vladar gets the starting goal for the Flames. Andrew Mangiapane is back from his suspension and on a line with Elias Lindholm and Jonathan Huberto. Walker Dewar expected to be a healthy scratch tonight for the Calgary Flames. We'll dive more into that this afternoon with Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson. Uh, we'll say goodbye to Sportsnet today for uh, this Friday afternoon with a quick thank you to Matt Marchese and Brent Gunning for joining us this afternoon. If you missed any of it, grab it on the podcast, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. And thank you to my outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor. Have yourself a great weekend. Enjoy the Flames and the Leafs, the Flames and the Sens. We'll chat about it all next week here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.